welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Welcome to Awaken. My name's Micah. I think uh, half the seats in the sanctuary opened when we sang that blessing for the kids. My gosh, this is going to be some kind of youth group in about eight years. Um, If you have your Bibles, uh, you will need them. Please turn to Genesis chapter 27. We're going to be there. Before we jump in, a couple of things to note. Number one, my friend Rabbi Alan is going to be here on Good Friday. So some of you have heard about Alan. Alan is a... uh, Rabbi that uh, Laura and I have had the opportunity to meet and study with over the past six or seven years, and someone that I, uh, in, I trust explicitly uh, in terms of teaching and learning, and uh, we have had a number of opportunities where Alan's been uh, around and spoke at our last fall retreat, so he'll be here Good Friday. There's two opportunities I want to make you aware of. They're open to anyone and everyone at Awaken, so Friday morning of Good Friday, I think it's the 14th. Uh, of April. From 9 to 1, there's going to be a study, uh, and that is open to anyone. There's 20 spots available for that. And then in the evening, uh, Alan will be leading a Seder study, which won't be like a full Passover dinner, but it'll be a study connected to the traditional elements of a Seder meal or a Passover meal. Those are uh, happening uh, in the neighborhood here. So uh, online, if you go online to the events page and you can click down there, there's a couple of spots to sign up. So if you're interested in that, Uh, It's a suggested donation of $50 per person, but please don't let money stop you from coming, uh, if that's that's good, all right? So note that on your calendars, April 14th. Also, Team World Vision, uh, we have a number of people who are running the marathon, so how many of you in the room are going to run the marathon this year by a raise of hands? Go ahead. Hi, don't don't be shy. Raise them high. There we are. Good. Uh, So if you you weren't here last week and you're interested or you want to find out more, there's still more information in the back. Chris will be in the back. The newest Team World Vision employee, actually, Chris, our own Chris Kimston, that's right. So please check that out. And last but not least, if you are interested in the church plant that is going to be headed out from Awaken in June, there's a potluck today following the second hour. So if you have questions, you want to meet the folks who are thinking about going, or if you just want a free meal and you don't even want to go, you can come and Dan will probably feed you. So that's that. Uh, Okay, so Genesis chapter 27, we are in a series, uh, a Lenten series called Into the Wilderness, and we've been journeying together looking at people in the scriptures who have made their way into the wilderness and asked questions about and explored what happened and how they heard from God. We've looked at Jesus and his 40 days in the desert. We looked at Hagar a couple of weeks ago, and this week uh, we looked at Moses, and this week we're going to look at uh, a guy named Jacob. Jacob is one of the patriarchs of the Jewish faith and the Jewish family. If you didn't know, maybe you've heard the phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So together with Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are really the beginnings of the Jewish family and the Jewish faith. And so we're going to look at Jacob this morning, who gets a name change halfway through his life, which is pretty interesting. Uh, We're going to look at a couple of different selections from the story of Jacob. Uh, We're going to read a few different passages to kind of get an overview. But before we do that, just a little bit of background on him so you know where we are in the story. Uh, Jacob is the son of Isaac and Rebekah. Abraham is his grandfather. Uh, Sarah would be his grandmother. He's the twin brother of Esau. If you remember the story, he comes out, according to the scripture, holding the heel of his brother, which sort of plays a a role in his life, actually, going forward. He steals his brother's birthright for a little bit of stew, which everybody's done that, right? 
Uh, and then he steals his, his, the blessing of his father, which is usually reserved for the oldest son, which would have been Esau, because he came out first. Uh, he flees his family, his brother, because he wants to kill him. And he goes to his uncle Laban's house, where he works for seven years for the hand of Rachel, this fine young lady that he meets at a well. And he's tricked on the night of his wedding, which I have all kinds of questions about that I will ask on the other side of death when I see them and just say, like, exactly how did that go down? Can you tell me? Either way, he's tricked on the night of his wedding, and Leah ends up in his bed the next day. And so he works another seven years to get Rachel, the wife that he really wanted in the first place. Um, <laughs> we... My, Laura and I were talking about, maybe we should do a series on polygamy in the Bible at some point, because Jacob has four wives who bear him 12 sons, uh, but nobody ever really talks about that, right? Like, let's talk about polygamy in the Bible. Uh, either way, Rachel, Rachel's barren for most of her life, but she eventually gives birth to Joseph and Benjamin, which are the two sort of favored sons of Jacob. Uh, he becomes the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, and then he returns home to his brother Esau at some point along the line. All right, so that's just a little bit of background for Jacob. So stand if you can, and we'll read three different sections from starting in Genesis 27. Only one verse in 27. Verse 41 says this, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. Skip down to chapter 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he laid down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it, stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Skip to chapter 32, and we'll read this final section. Verse 22 of chapter 32 says this. That night Jacob got up, and he took his two wives, his female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. And so Jacob, left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Pray with me. God, this morning as we gather, we do so as your church, and we center ourselves around the life and the death, the teachings, the resurrection of Jesus, the Christ. Um, I'm grateful that you have given us this word 
these divine words captured in this book, which you continue to use to reveal yourself to us. And so, God, do it again. Do it again today. May we have eyes to ear, uh, eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that are open, uh, and the courage to step into whatever it is we feel you inviting us to today. I pray in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So we, we, we got a few of the big sort of ticket items in Jacob's story in those passages, and I want to just walk through some of those and ask maybe what are, some of the, what are some of the learnings or what are some of the things that we can maybe look at and take from Jacob's wilderness wanderings, right? He kills his brother and he flees into the wilderness. He leaves Beersheba and he goes to Haran, which is the wilderness of the southern part of Israel. He begins and he goes all the way up to the north to his uncle Laban's house and enters this season of time where really he's running from a lot of different things. So are there some things along the way in Jacob's wilderness wanderings that we learn or that we see that could be applicable to our own Lenten journeys? And so first I would say this, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but that God is at work all the time everywhere. Uh, Two weeks ago when we looked at Moses, we find Moses in the desert at a burning bush, and he turns aside and sees this bush that's burning but not being consumed, and he says, why is it burning? And not being consumed. And the Lord sort of appears and speaks to him. And we talked about this idea that if we have eyes to see God amidst the ordinary, God is absolutely present. Certainly there are mountaintop experiences where we, we, we think, oh, s- certainly God must be here. Right? If it's a retreat or camp or some kind of ecstatic experience that one might have, it's obvious and it's easy to say, well, God is here. But in the ordinary and in the mundane... I think sometimes we forget that God is at work all the time, everywhere. Jacob utters this deeply profound statement when he says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Which means at least a couple of things. First, that God's at work all the time and everywhere. You've heard, maybe heard people say, and I said this a couple weeks ago, that like, uh, God showed up to some place, or God you know, arrived at, at, at worship today at Awaken. And I suggest that that's bad theology. It's not a very good understanding of how God presents God's self in the text. And also just our own recollection, our own experience in life. People will testify to finding God amidst the ordinary and the mundane. At work, all the time, everywhere. So God doesn't show up somewhere and leave somewhere somewhere else uninhabited by God. But rather, God is at work all the time and everywhere. Now, If you know a little bit of the backstory of Christian history, sometimes Christians have shied away from this because of an idea called panentheism or pantheism, that God is in all and is everything, that God is in this table and God is in that glass and God is in that tree or whatnot. And there's a fine line between this, right? But I think we can affirm that there isn't a square inch of God's creation that God isn't present and and, and sees all. So you can't get outside of the psalmist says, where can I go where you're not already there? Which is why we can affirm that in our deepest pain and in our darkest nights that you are not alone. But that the presence of God, it doesn't take breaks. There isn't where you you can't go somewhere and be outside of the presence of the Lord. So first, we could at least say that God is at work all the time and everywhere. Even in your neighbor. You know the one I'm talking about, right? Or your coworker, or your boss, the tyrant. God is at work all the time and everywhere. I think we could also say that 
Jacob, at least in this passage and others in Scripture, wakes up to this fact. Some of you may be new around here, and you might be wondering, why do they call it Awaken? Like, what a bizarre name. You know, there's all these cool names. With It's funny, when I get together with church planters, and we have like a couple of old school pastors who are pastors of older churches, and they're like, yeah, I'm the pastor at First Covenant in St. Paul, or I'm the pastor at, you know, uh, Day Spring Covenant or something, and then you get the church planters, and they're like, yeah, I'm the pastor at Awaken, I'm the pastor at Genesis, I'm the pastor of the Story Covenant Church, or Seeds Covenant Church, and it's like so odd and so starkly different, the, the names of churches, but why do they call it Awaken? Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Some of us are sleeping this morning. Some of you walked in this room, and you're here, but you're asleep. And we all are to a degree, right? There's always something that we're going to be waking up to, some new... If God is God, and God is infinitely offering God's self to you and me who are finite, then there's always more of God to to be understood and to know and to grow into, So we're always waking up to new parts of God, giving God's self to us. So some of you are asleep this morning. Some of you are asleep to the fact that you drink too much. And that it's numbing your senses. Some of you are asleep to the fact that you're addicted to pornography. And that it's absolutely killing relationships, both present and future. Some of you are asleep to the fact that you eat because you're lonely. Some of us are asleep to the fact that we've settled... And we've never attempted the dreams in our hearts because we're scared. Some of us are asleep to the fact that fear is actually dictating our lives. That it's in the driver's seat. Courage is not the absence of fear, but courage is the unwillingness to allow fear to dictate your response. Some of us are asleep to the fact that we're scared. That there's all kinds of things that we would want to do and that we talk about doing, but that we'll never do because fear is driving our lives. And we're asleep to that fact. And faith and Christianity and the spiritual life is about waking up. It's about God presenting God's self to us in new and fresh and profound ways where we begin to think maybe tomorrow could be different than today. So wake up. What if we named a church called Awaken? So every time we walked in the door, we were reminded that for the first time and for the hundredth time and for the thousandth time, we are being invited to wake up to new and fresh, and more beautiful pictures of the God who reveals God's self in Jesus. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Did any of you come today expecting anything? So maybe there's a scenario in your life in which you would find it difficult to see God at work in. Maybe there's a person Maybe there's a family member who you are certain God is nowhere near. Amen, brother? What would it be like for you today to be invited to imagine in your mind's eye, because to the degree that we can see it in our minds is the degree to which we believe it to be true. Could you imagine the presence of God in that situation, in that home, in that cubicle, in that person, at work, all the time, everywhere? Or maybe there's something that you're being invited to wake up to today. Some way in which you've been lulled to sleep, right? The sirens of the sea, they're just like tractor beams, sucked you right in. 
That's a dumb and dumber quote. <laughs> Sneaky, I sneak right up on you. You want, uh, I was gonna quote an Adam Sandler movie next, but I'll stop. <laughs> God is at work all the time and everywhere, and we are waking up to it. So is there a scenario in which you might be invited this morning to imagine, to see God at work in the midst of, or some part of your life that maybe the Holy Spirit is waking you up to. And I don't care how old you are, by the way. You could be like in the last chapter with grandkids running around. And God is still, I believe, sending invitations to you, pulses to say, wake up. Wake up. Maybe there's a way in which you've related to your spouse or your partner that is not healthy, that needs to change. Maybe there's a new endeavor, a new initiative, a new caper that the Lord is inviting you to in the last chapter. It, it doesn't end until we breathe our last. So wake up. I think we could also say that what is true and real is often exposed. As we look at Jacob's wilderness wanderings, what is true and real is exposed. And it's true for many of us in our wilderness wanderings. Even my own experience of Lent this year, I have found, gosh, I'm just, like, things are being exposed, and I'm like, I would rather not pay attention to that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, or, yeah, but not that. Really? Come on. What's true and real is often exposed. The wilderness has a way of stripping things back to their raw materials. I remember when I was a kid, my mom used to have this insatiable desire to do, like, woodworking projects, and she would strip woodwork projects, like all the paint and finish, back to their original. So there were like newspapers out on the table and Red Devil wood stripper. Do you remember that stuff? It's horribly toxic, and I'm convinced that that's partly why I am the way I am. <laughs> but there would be newspapers all over the table, and there would be like, you know, these steel wool things and rubber gloves, and just meticulously, slowly, painstakingly, my mom would like strip back the layers of paint so that what was true and most raw would begin to be exposed. And this can be a very scary experience when it's happening to us and not the piece of wood on our table, right? Where what's true and real and raw begins to come to the surface. Because we spend all kinds of time and energy and money hiding those things, individually and culturally. Nobody likes to stare those things down. It's scary. We bury our scars and our pain and our experiences of the past. We hide them. Our own insecurities about ourselves and our capacities, which often comes out in the form of judgment towards others. We like to bury that stuff. But when it starts to bubble up and what's raw and true and real is exposed, take a deep breath, right? Sometimes we bury our tendency to withdraw in a situation that gets difficult. You guys watch The Voice? <laughs> when Blake Shelton does that, that's my favorite moment of the whole show. <laughs> and he's got big, long fingers, too. So, Some of us have a tendency to bend the truth or withhold certain parts of the truth so that we position ourselves in such a way that it benefits our, 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 our motives or our desires, right? We don't like to see those things. We like to bury them, and we'd like them to stay just underneath the radar so nobody sees them, and we don't have to pay attention to them. And it's fascinating about Jacob, right? What 
it's so interesting that what's been true about Jacob from the beginning of the story comes full circle in some ways, and he reaps what he sows, right? He steals his brother's birthright, and then he steals his blessing, which drives him out of town. And then ironically enough, he's tricked, and he gets Leah instead of Rachel. Full circle. What's truest about us, whether we like it or not, will often bubble up in the wilderness. And we will be faced with a choice to either stand there and face it or turn. Turn out the lights. Move away. Distract, right? So maybe you're here today and you've had an experience like this in Lent or in a wilderness of your own where the layers are being stripped back and the raw material is being exposed. And here's what I would say to you. You're going to be okay. You're going to make it. You can trust the hands that hold you. You can trust and be at ease even though you might not be able to see where you're going or you feel like it's dark, you can trust the God who sees it all and is working all together for wholeness and flourishing and love. You're going to be okay. So stand there. Don't move out of the light, but actually welcome it. Because what is at stake and what is in the heart of the divine is you and the the truest sense of you. You see, the the wilderness is a journey for the true self. The false self has no interest in the wilderness. So all of the ways that we think or that we present ourselves that maybe aren't totally accurate, that's the false self. And the wilderness, the false self has no interest in going on that journey. But what's true and real and most you is at stake. So don't run. I think we could also say, certainly that God's at work all the time and everywhere, and that the truest senses of ourself often come to the surface in the wilderness. We could also say that wrestling is a part of the spiritual life. I love the fact that Jacob, he's wrestling with an angel, the text says. It says a man in some texts. It says an angel in others. It's a divine being. Jacob is wrestling with a divine being, and when that divine being says, let me go, Jacob doesn't fall in line. He doesn't say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. He says, no, not until you bless me. (laughs) Like, who would have the guts to say that to an angel when you saw it, let alone when you were wrestling it? No, not until you bless me. We used to tell our kids, we do not negotiate with terrorists, right? Like, he's, he's like, no, I won't let you go, not until you give me what I want. And then if that's not enough in the way of precedence, when Jacob's name is changed, it's changed to Israel. Which means, he who wrestles with God and man and is able. Have you ever thought about that? The very name of the people of God in the Bible is a wrestling name. He who wrestles with God and with man and is able. In the very nature, the very essence, the very DNA of what it means to be God's people is a sense of wrestling, which I love. I grew up, as I've said, with four brothers and an older brother who had very specific plans for my life. <laughs> and I, we would wrestle to the blood, like, you know, remember in, uh, uh, to the death, no, to the pain. 
What is that? What movie is that? Princess Bride. Princess Bride. We would wrestle to blood all the time. Uh, I, I, when I was in like fourth or fifth grade, I decided to play football. I was like tiny, very, very small child. But I decided to play football, mostly because my f best friend Jeff Holmberg was playing football, and I wanted to be like Jeff. So we go through tryouts, and at the end of tryouts, my coach, Roy Magnuson, he says, Mike, you're going to play middle, you're gonna play middle linebacker. Now, if you don't know anything about football, this is like the most contact, um, uh, uh, it is the center of all of the conflict in football, the middle linebacker position. And he said, like, this is a kid who just won't back down. He won't back down from anything or anyone, and so we're going to put him at middle linebacker. You're the smallest guy on the team, but you got the biggest heart. I was like Rudy, <laughs> basically. You know what I mean? Rudy, Rudy. <laughs> but somewhere along the way, as it relates to faith, I was told to fall in line. Stop asking so many questions. That's off limits. We don't talk about that. We don't question that. Don't be so contrarian. And I don't know about you, but I, I presume that there may be some people in the room for whom your experience of faith and God and spiritual life has been a whole bunch of prohibitions and don'ts and fall in lines and stop asking so many questions. And so if that's been your experience, there's a whole lot of other churches uh, that are doing that, and we're not doing that. Like, period. One of the first bumper stickers that we ever printed for Awaken said, permission to question. I think we should print a few more of those. Somebody should do that around here. <laughs> permission to question. Your doubt... Your skepticism, your wondering, your insecurity, your uncertainty, it's all welcome. It all belongs. We have centered ourselves around something, and that something is the life and teachings and death and resurrection of Jesus, this historical man who also we believe, I believe, to be the Christ, the Son of God. We center this community around that thing. But in terms of like all the other stuff, there really isn't much that's off the table. Like, if we lose that, we lose the center of what it, this community is about. Open season, friends. Doubt is not the enemy of faith. It's the brother of faith. Without doubt, you don't have faith. Have you ever thought about that? Faith is a belief. It's a claim that something is true. And there has to be inherent in the claim itself a bit of uncertainty, doubt. Otherwise, it would be certain, not faith. So doubt is not the enemy of faith. It's a, they have to play together. They have to be in the same space. So if you've come into this place, or you've had a spiritual experience or a religious upbringing where it was fall in line, stop asking so many questions, that's off the table, you don't have to do that anymore. Not here. If we learn anything from Jacob's wrestling and his wandering in the wilderness, we learn that doubt and skepticism and wrestling is a part of the deal. It has to be. I think it keeps us honest. And I think it makes us stronger, not weaker. So long as I'm here, that's a part of who we are. 
And if at some point this church decides that we don't want that anymore, then you're going to have to get rid of me. Which is bizarre to think about. (laughs) Right? That'll happen someday. I hope that the kids sing that song, though, to their kids someday. Like when we're all long gone. Maybe something would remain. If anything, that would be it. Lastly, I'll say this. The wilderness produces more of your truest self, not less. I spoke of this earlier, and I'll say it again. In the story of Jacob, his wandering and fleeing and wrestling is a gateway into an invitation. And the invitation is to step into the fullness of his name. And notice that the doors sort of open for Jacob when he finally says his own name. Did you know that in this story, at this moment that we read, when the, when, the, when the angel says, what is your name? And he says, Jacob, it's the first time in the whole story that he's said his own name. And he's had opportunity before, multiple times. He's been asked by his father, what is your name? And he said, Isaac. Nowhere in the text in the story yet has Jacob answered the question, what is your name? It's as if Jacob spends his whole life running from what's true about himself that he, that he knows but doesn't want to know. And at the moment when he finally says, I am Jacob, and he stands there in his own name, the door opens and he's invited further into his identity as a human and as an individual in the, t- in the text and in the story. And his name changes, actually. More is opened up, and he says, your name will now be Israel. Jacob means heel or supplanter, right? He comes out grasping his brother's heel, and it seems like that's a lot of his life, where he's grasping for something that might not be his. And at the moment he says, my name is Jacob, and he stands in it, the door opens. And an invitation comes to go deeper and further into the truest sense of who he is. Ah, Now that you've said it, let me point a way forward. Where you will not be Jacob anymore, but you will be Israel. One who wrestles with God and man and is able. Who becomes a great nation and a blessing for the whole world. Not a grabber, not a heel, not a supplanter, but a blessing. I want to suggest that in the wilderness, when we go there, when we're willing to go there. Oh, man. We should put a guardrail on this thing. When we're willing to go there and walk towards it, I would say that we can say this is true from Jacob's experience and the, and the faithful men and women of faith who have gone before us, that you're invited more and more, deeper and deeper, into the truest sense of self, where there becomes an increasing degree of congruity between your insides and your outsides. That's what we're after. And I think that's what the divine is after. Because in the divine, there is no shadow. Right? And the process of sanctification is becoming more and more and more like this person of Jesus. The ultimate human. The Adam, the second Adam, which we are then called to follow after and become more and more like. The truest sense of who God dreamt and made you to be. So the wilderness, my friends, it's not for the faint of heart. But I would argue that it's where all the good stuff happens. So will you go there? Will you continue to walk towards it? Will you face it 
stand in the light, not move away from it, not distract, not avert. My name is Micah. My name is Jacob. And here I am. It always comes back to Hineni. <laughs> so, friends, for Jacob, God is at work all the time, everywhere. Is there a scenario in which you need to imagine, where God's inviting you to imagine that God is present and at work? Or is there something you're waking up to? What's true and real is often exposed. This is a refining process and experience. And wrestling is absolutely a part of it. So an invitation to continue walking towards and in the wilderness where we might hear God's voice. Pray with me if you would. God, as we prepare our hearts for a moment of silence, we do so with the recognition that for many in Scripture, including Elijah, your voice, your prompting, your presence didn't come in the wind and the fire and in the rain, but it came in a still, small voice that sounded like a babbling brook. And so may it be today that our hearts, our spirit, our self is tuned into the still, small, babbling brook that is your voice. And so speak to us. Whatever it is that we need to hear this morning, make it clear. I pray that it would rise above the rest, all the chaos and all the other words. Whatever it is that we need, that it would rise up off the page and that you would invite us to move towards you so here we are, Holy Spirit. Speak to us now. Would you stand if you are not to receive this benediction? Uh, know that our prayer team is always available. Uh, they would be happy. They would be thrilled uh, to pray with you, for you, about anything. So receive this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Grace and peace, my friends. I love you. Find us online at www at awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakencommunity or on Twitter at awakencommunity. See you next time.